You are listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I am your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 78. In this episode of the podcast, we're going to be meeting D.P. Lyle, who is a best-selling and award-winning author of uh, both fiction and non-fiction books, including the Samantha Cody, Dub Walker, and Jake Longley thriller series, as well as the Royal Pains hit TV show, Media Tie-In Novels. He is the creator and host of his very own podcast series uh, called Criminal Mischief, The Art and Science of Crime Fiction, which I highly recommend for writers. He uh, co-hosted, along with Jan Burke, the uh, Crime and Science Radio on Suspense Radio. And Doug has worked with many novelists and uh, with writers of popular television shows, such as Law and Order, DSI Miami, Diagnosis Murder, Monk, Judging Amy, Pretty Little Liars, and a whole bunch of others. And for the past 40 years, he has practiced cardiology in Orange County, California. And his nonfiction books is how I first came uh, to notice uh, T.P. Lyle. He wrote the forensic and fiction books, which are absolutely fantastic, as well as the Forensic for Dummies uh, book, uh, which I believe all his uh, all of those books for writers of, of mystery, thrillers, and suspense should be a must-have, should be on your on your shelf. I refer to them all the time. Um, so it was those books how I found out about uh, D.P. Lyle, and then I realized that he was also wrote his own thrillers, and I started reading a couple of those and really enjoyed them and said, I, I really want uh, to have him on. On this podcast so I reached out and I'm very excited that he said yes so here is my interview with DP Lyle hey everybody this is Alan with meet the thriller author and uh, for this episode I have DP Lyle He's an award-winning and best-selling author of both fiction and nonfiction books. how are you Doug just fine how are you doing Alan I'm doing good thank you for being on the podcast love being here so uh, can you tell us a little bit then about your background, uh, such an amazing background uh, from being a doctor to a writer. Can you tell us a little bit about that? practice cardiology out here in Orange County for over 40 years now. Uh, I grew up in Alabama. I went to the University of Alabama, Roll Tide. I went to medical school and internship there in Birmingham and then went off to Houston and did my residency and my fellowship at Texas Heart. And then I've been out here in California ever since then practicing. And, uh, you know, I grew up in the South, so everybody in the South can tell a story. That That's part of the culture. They won't feed you if you don't. I always knew I could tell a story, but I wasn't sure I could write one. So about, I don't know, 25 years ago or so, I took some classes here at University of California, Irvine, which has a great writing school. I took a couple of night classes and joined a couple of writing groups and just started writing. And I found out that uh, writing a story and telling a story are two entirely different animals. <laughs> telling a story is easy. Writing a story is hard. And, um, you know, even now, God, I have, what is it, 18th, 19th, or 19th and 20th book coming out this year. I don't, I don't even remember, and it, it doesn't get easier. Yeah, that's something I, when I wrote my first book, I thought, oh, this is, like, I got this down now. And yeah. uh, every, every, every new book is like starting over from the beginning. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So when you started to write, did you start right away with the mysteries and thrillers? Were you a fan yeah. of, those, of that genre? Yeah, actually, uh, I wrote a book. Uh, it took me two and a half years, the first book, and, and it was fabulous. It was just wonderful. It was 138,000 words of wonderfulness. <laughs> and, so, and so I sent it off to my agent, Kimberly Cameron. She wasn't my agent then, but uh, she's up in your neck of the woods in Tiburon area. Uh-huh. And Kimberly has been my agent for you know over two decades now, and, uh, and I love her to death. She's great. But this was before we had a business relationship. But we had met at a writer's conference, and I said, I'm working on something. She said, well, send it. 
So I sent it, and she called me a week later, and she said, quote, there's a story in here somewhere. I just can't find it. <laughs> and she said, but there's a lot of great stuff here. If you rewrite it, I'll read it again. Now, you never hear that from agents, ever. So I did. I rewrote it, got down to 120,000 words, sent it back to her. She said, no, it's not, it's not ready. So, like a long story short, she rejected a couple of other novels, and then and then we published some nonfiction, and ten years go by, and I rewrote this book, a story that I could not get out of my head, 27 times. Mm-hmm. I changed locations four times. I changed titles four times. I even changed protagonist. The only thing that stayed the same was the basic story of the bad guy. So ten years later, it's down to about 85,000 words, and well... I had learned some stuff about storytelling on the page. So I called Kimberly, and I said, do you remember that book from 10 years ago? And she said, oh, God, yes. <laughs> and I said, well, it's ready. And she said, really? So I sent it to her, and she, she said, yeah, it's ready. And that became my first Dub Walker book called Stress Fracture. So, you know, 10 years, 27 rewrites, you know, overnight <laughs> success. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fascinating too. Because I, I read that I read Stress Fracture because I, I yeah I first found you through your nonfiction stuff and then I yeah. thought, oh he's got thrillers so I read yeah. a book. That's a, I read that book and that was a, it's an awesome book. Um, so it's amazing to hear the backstory of of how it came to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that was it. <laughs> <laughs> and so now your your latest book that you're writing this uh, the Jake Longley uh, thriller series. Yeah, uh, yeah. From what I've been reading, it looks like it's a, a, a different. It's like a little bit more with a comedic type thriller. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it is, and it's interesting writing the Royal Pains books, which are were kind of simple and you know simple little stories based on the TV series. And and I remember I was reluctant to do those, but then I finally did, and uh, it, it had some good and bad and ugly with it dealing with Hollywood. But at the end of the day, when I started writing those stories, I said, well, you know, this is a lot less serious than you know writing a real thriller where you have to keep a lot of balls and subplots and a lot of science and a lot of stuff in the air. You know, my Dub Walker forensic thrillers and stuff. There's just a lot of stuff going on that you've got to keep together. Well. These books, they're just little stories, little yarns. And so I wrote them, and I wrote them without outlining. I just started writing and just, you know, followed Hank and Evan and Divya and all those people through through all the through all the stories, and the stories just unfolded. Well, when I started the Jake Longley series, I had the first book, Deep Six, I had exactly one scene in mind. That's it. Mm-hmm. And I said, let's just see where this goes. And I started writing, and it just flew. And it's lighter. It's not as tech technical. Uh, you know, it's not procedural. It's just funny stuff happening along the way. And oh, by the way, people are getting murdered, and we got to figure out what that's all about. So it's a lot more like Carl Hyacin or Tim Mullaney or, or, or Paul Levin. That there's murder mysteries, there are crime stories, but they're a little less serious and a lot more fun. So I, I, I kind of like that. So I don't outline anymore. I just start writing. Uh, fascinating because usually you hear writers start uh, not by passing and then they go they start going into outlining. You went the other way, so yeah. I'm assuming the other books then were a lot more were like you had a big outline before. Or? Yeah, I mean, you know, they're they're uh, when you have more technical stuff and mm-hmm. more police procedure and more keeping all the clues and the red herrings and all the stuff together, you have to be a little more careful. You have to plot things a little tighter. When you're writing comedic-type stuff, you know, 
happenstance and serendipity can enter the story at any moment. And and it's 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 you know it's like a it's like a confederacy of clowns rather than you know a bunch of hard boiled cops and it's a whole different flavor and I really enjoy it I, I really enjoy writing it that way I find it to be a lot of fun now I use a program called Scrivener to write and and boy anybody who doesn't is insane mm-hmm. because it allows you to kind of keep it a running outline sorta. Uh, while you're writing, and it allows you to move around in the writing very, very, very easily. You can jump from scene to scene to scene. You know, you're 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 in chapter fifty, or scene fifty, and, and something happened back in scene twelve. Well, you're not scrolling and scrolling. You just click on scene twelve, and there it is. And you have your little titles for each scene, so you kind of know who's where. It, it just makes writing so much easier. You know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And so it, it doesn't, it's not one of those programs that plots for you and all that stuff. All those guys are out there. I've looked at a lot of those because they're kind of fun. This is basically just a word processing program with a lot of bells and whistles. Yeah, I love it. I, I use Scrivener as well. I, yeah. I like the, the drag and drop features of it too. Oh, absolutely. That, that would, that would have come in handy of those 27 rewrites that you did over the. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and the research files. I mean, where you yeah. can drag photos and, and web pages and everything into the program and it's right there as you need it all the time. And so how many, how many books do you have on the Jake Langley uh, series so far? Uh, the third one is, uh, coming out in May. Uh, the first one was Deep Six. The second one was A-List, set in New Orleans. The third one is Sunshine State, well, duh, set in Florida. Uh, and, and it's it's really funny. It may be the best of the three. And then I'm working, actually, this morning, what I've written, 1,220 words already this morning, on the next one, which is called Rigged, and it's going to take place in the town of Fairhope, Alabama. And uh, Fairhope is just, it's kind of like the Carmel of the of the Gulf. It is an artsy town. It's got a great bookstore there, great restaurants and bars. It's right on the Gulf, facing west, great sunsets, and it's a pretty high-dollar neighborhood, and it's very nice. I'm setting the story there, uh, which is just up the road from where uh, Jake and, and crew live in Gulf Shores, Alabama. So uh, all these are set around the Gulf Coast. Oh, that must have been fun for you too, because you said you're you're originally from Alabama, so you're able to like right. go home. <laughs> to, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, all the Dub stories, Dub Walker stories, were set in Huntsville, my hometown. So. Uh, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, the Huntsville yeah, uh, so sheriffs. Yeah, yeah, I remember that in the book. Yeah, and so uh, so yeah, so Sunshine State that's coming out on uh, May 21st of, of yep. 2019, exactly. and uh, and I believe it's already available for pre-orders of listeners. It is. Yes. Yeah. So this will probably. Go go check that out now. I I really like your covers. They really stand out with those colors and the the palm tree with the blood dripping on it. Love yeah, it. <laughs> Ocean View does a great job with that. They're, they're fantastic. Yeah. Uh, okay, and so now I'm just talk a little bit now with your with your nonfiction. Um, how did that all come about? Because uh, if people are familiar, I mean, I'll, your forensic books. I mean, the, like the questions. Uh, yeah. I'm, look, I'm looking at the book here, uh, more forensic and fiction, which I always have on yeah. my desk. Can yeah. DNA be obtained from a half-eaten bagel? I mean, I love yeah. the questions. How did that, that come about? And, and actually, uh, interesting, more forensics and fiction was published by Medallion that has now gone out of business. They also published two of my dub books. Well, just in the last couple of weeks, I got the rights for all those books back by the court, the, the bankruptcy court. Oh. So now we're going to be republishing those. Uh, we're not sure, Kimberly and I have been talking about, we're not sure exactly when, where, and how we're going to do that yet. 
but we're going to republish those three books, but particularly the question and answer book. Basically, many years ago, Jan Burke, who I did a radio show with for three and a half years, dear friend, Jan was the president of the uh, Southern California chapter of Mystery Writers of America, and the newsletter was kind of thin, and she wanted to bump it up, so she asked me, would you write an article for something, something on forensics or medicine or whatever, and I said, sure. Because by this time, I was answering questions for writers, but uh, they would call me and screenwriters and call me and ask me questions about forensic science or medical issues. And so I wrote one called Timely Death, which was a, kind of an overview of how the coroner determines the time of death. And it was a huge success. Everybody loved it. So we want more of this kind of stuff. So we started a column called The Doctor's In, and it was a, a question and answer thing. Well, that expanded and went on and on and on, and that ended up being published in several other newsletters uh, around the National MWA Letter, Suspense Magazine, different places, Novelist Inc., their newsletter. And so, to make a long story short, I ended up with thousands and thousands of questions from writers. So I put them all together in first, Murder and Mayhem, and then second, Forensics and Fiction, and third, more Forensics and Fiction. And each book has about, oh, 170, 180 questions the best ones I'd received up to that time, from writers. And it was, they would say, I got this scenario, you know. So how does this work? What's going to happen? What's the right way to do this? What's it going to look like? Does this make sense? That kind of thing. So I would offer them the science uh, behind what's going on here and explain it to them in plain English and then tell them how to use that in their story. And then sometimes even make suggestions. Why don't you think about this? So those three books have just been, I think every crime writer should read them, not only because I think they'll learn a lot, but I think they inspire. What I hear all the time is, you know, I really got some great story ideas from this. And so, you know, you read these questions from other writers and you say, oh, that's curious. You know, I'm thinking about this, and that would work in my story this way. It wouldn't be the same, but it would at least spark that what if that we all live with. Yeah, I still find that they're great, like writing block, unblockers. Because, you know, if you're kind of stuck on something or, you know, you just start thumbing through your books and uh, through your, the questions and it starts uh, sparking your imagination and then it gets you right back into the excited to write again. So Exactly. exactly. So, yeah, they're, they're, they, are, they are a lot of fun. And, and some of these questions that come up, have you ever had a question that's kind of like, kind of even uh, surprised you or, or made you a little bit, uh, huh, why are they? <laughs> Oh, sure. Uh, um, uh, you know, several. And, and some of them you can tell that they're talking about real-life stuff, and I don't answer those. Uh, I say, you know, is this, this has to be in the context of a fictional story. I don't deal with, with real crime. I mean, I'm not qualified to, and it would be stupid to do that. Mm-hmm. But uh, if it's in the context of story, sure, everything's fair game. I remember way back, Charlene Harris was working on, I think, the fourth Sookie Stackhouse book, and, and, and we talked about vampire blood and she wanted some <laughs> and this was back at the beginning of the whole vampire uh, werewolf phase uh, that's kind of dwindling now and we're into zombies I guess but uh, but Charlene obviously was huge and with True Blood the TV series was huge in, in that whole genre and actually launching it and she's such a great writer and great storyteller but we talked about that and then of course after that I've got maybe a hundred questions over the next three or four years on vampires and werewolves and things like that, you know. And, and, and that's okay. I mean, it's obviously, uh, sci-fi fantasy stuff, but it still has to conform to certain basic principles. 
And so you try to work through that and how you can make this unbelievable story believable. And how do you make it sound real? I mean, if you think about it, Star Wars, really. But we bought into it hook, line, and sinker. That we accepted the entire universe, that entire world, that entire war that was going on, all those characters. We accepted all of that. Because it remained true, even though it violates just about every scientific principle, you know, spaceships don't make noise in space because, well, there's not enough molecules and they can't bank and turn like aircraft because there's not enough molecules to do that against. They kind of have to move in square square lines. But we didn't care. We didn't care about all that stuff because it was a great story and we bought into the world. And so same thing. If you buy into the world, it doesn't matter how outlandish it is. It'll work. Charlene Harris with the whole, you know, vampires coming out oh, yeah. uh, of the coffin and the synthetic blood. It was all like very... Yeah. Yeah, different. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's fabulous. She's just yeah. a great person and a great writer. What were some of your influences as a, as a writer, some of your favorite authors? Oh, uh, the, the two, I mean, many, 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 you know, the Michael Connolly, T. Jefferson Parker, uh, Bob Craze, but there's two that stand head and shoulders above everybody else, and that's James Lee Burke and Elmore Leonard. Um, James Lee Burke, because his writing is just so perfect. Uh, his sentences, his paragraphs, his imagery, his dialogue, his characters are sometimes, they take your breath away when you're reading. And you stop and say, oh, my God. And you reread it. And you say, you know, I know all those words. Why can't I put them together this way? You know, <laughs> Because he is just fabulous, literary, gritty fiction. And then Elmore Leonard, he's known as, you know, the, father, the, the, the guru of dialogue because he writes dialogue that's not dialogue. than that, I think he is a university-level course in how to plot and tell a story. His famous adage, it's actually not one of his ten rules, but it's it's probably his most famous, is, um, actually it's the number ten rule, leave out the parts people skip. And, And the other is, if it sounds like writing, rewrite it. But he does that, and he manages to move you through a story, create a scene, create a character, create the dialogue, create the action, and do it all so effortlessly and so efficiently that every single thriller writer can learn a massive amount just by reading his stuff over and over again. You know, I've read some of his books two or three times. I've probably read virtually everything he's written. You know, he started as a Western writer. He wrote Ombre and 310 to Yuma and stuff like that. And after he did 40 or 50 Western books, he turned to crime in Detroit and Florida and had a whole other career. And those books are just wonderful. Get Shorty and Gold Coast and Jackie Brown and Maximum Bob and Be Cool. And I mean, they're just fabulous stories and everyone should read them. So those two guys probably had the greatest influence on me. Do you still find time to read, or are you too busy now with uh, everything? Oh, no, I, I read all the time. Yeah. I read all the time. In fact, I'm reading an old uh, Elmore Leonard book right now uh, called Something or Other City. I forget. That's probably when you read on a Kindle, uh, <laughs> or I read on my iPad with the Kindle out. You, you, you can never remember the titles of books. Yeah, they're yeah, never yeah. in front of you. you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's funny. I've been kind of that, too. You can't just flip over to the cover like the other. Yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. Now, what's the name of this again? <laughs> yeah. When you got a book, you see it every time you pick it up. But with yeah. an e- e-reader, no, not so much. Yeah, and especially with the, the to-read file. It keeps getting big with a Kindle because it's so easy to download stuff. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> 
so the, with your medical background now, have uh, any of those any real life experiences ever found their way into uh, into one of your stories? Oh, sure, and yeah, not only experiences, but things I've read about and you know and uh, heard about and see on TV and movies and uh, true crime stories and all that stuff. All all, all filter in there. Uh, actually, there was a um, a character in uh, Stress Fracture. Dr. Wendell Volick was was the character, and he's the guy that uh, that enhanced the photos for Dub and T. Tommy so they could get an image of the killer and the old Russell Erskine. And the Russell Erskine was the hotel in Huntsville when I was growing up. It's now a uh, a retirement community, uh, high rise with condo type things. But the Russell Erskine Hotel was fabulous. It was where all the big events were held in the ballroom there and all that. So as part of my childhood, so I set the story there. And so they they get a little security video of this guy, and they need it enhanced. So they take it out to Wendell Volick at uh, NASA, which is right there in Huntsville, the Marshall Space Flight Center, where Von Braun and all his people built all the rockets. Um, and I grew up with that. You know, I thought everybody had a space program in their backyard. But the guy that actually did that is a guy named Dr. David Hathaway. And David's just a great guy. And I went out and spent some time with him there, and he explained... Uh, how he invented, uh, he and his, his co-worker invented the Visar system, video image stabilization and registry. So when you see a picture of someone and they enhance it and get the license plate number, or in a famous case, they got a tattoo off a guy's arm that abducted this little girl, and they take these grainy videos and digitally enhance them, that's what he invented. Now, he was the director of the solar imaging program. And so when the a bomb went off at the Atlanta Olympics, they had a 13-second little video, and all it was was just a dark shadow outline of something against a a park bench where the explosion took place. And they had run the news crew away. They're not supposed to be over here. They'd run them away. So they got 13 seconds of imagery before they got booted. The FBI brought that down to David and said, can you do anything with this? Well, I don't know. <laughs> so they started working with it. Spinoff is they ended up with an image that showed the bomb, showed the wires, showed everything, and it basically invented the Visar system. So I used that in in that story, in that book, and actually it, David's acknowledged in the front, and I sent him a copy, and he was thrilled, you know, <laughs> to be in the book. But anyway, so yeah, so, you know, your, your research leads you in a lot of circles, and just the people you run into, all those things inform the stories you're telling. And uh, what's your writing process then? So you start, you start, you do your research, and then you start to to write your your books. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I, t- I write both fiction and nonfiction, and I tell people they're exactly the same, only different. Uh, <laughs> for nonfiction, you got to do all the research, and you got to put all the research together. And then, you know, you may do a little bit later as you run across other stuff, but you basically you have to do all the research and organize it, and put it in some palatable form and understandable form, and then start writing. And you might draw your fiction techniques into that writing, but you have to get the information organized first. In fiction, eh, you get the characters and the setting and the plot hammered out, and you do the research as you go along. Um, if you need to know what a building looks like, or you need to know if this town has a Starbucks or not, of course, every place does. If you need to know uh, what something looks like, you, you, then you go look for it. But other than that, the story comes out of your head. And so you only go have to look up the things that you need to go look up. And, 
if you do too much research before you start the story, unless it's about some aspect of that story that you need to know more about, you'll end up spending all your time on the computer looking at pretty pictures and pretty <laughs> cool articles, and, and pretty soon, you know, just three weeks will go by, and you'll say, well, I haven't written a word. You know, just start writing and then do the research. So they're exactly the same, only different. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah, because uh, yeah, it's such rabbit holes with the with the internet. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. man, I, I, you start out really doing some research, and the next thing you know, you've wasted a couple hours. <laughs> yeah, you're watching cat videos on YouTube. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. all roads lead there. <laughs> yeah, but it is so wonderful though. Like you were saying, you know, if, you, if I'm writing a story, you want to you want to know if there's a Starbucks in that corner yeah. or something. Boom, you can just go to Google Maps or whatever. <laughs> sure, sure, absolutely, absolutely. You can imagine uh, back to the the old masters with the typewriters, how how they had to do their research. Oh, oh my God! You know, and when I started trying to do some writing, it was basically on a typewriter because you know the computers were just starting to come out then. I mean, it, it hadn't been that long ago. Desktop computers have not been around long. <laughs> yeah, that, that is that's crazy. My freshman year in college, like, yeah, we had to go to a computer lab to, to get yeah, a computer. Yeah. Not everyone had one in their dorm or a laptop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had an old Apple IIe or something like that, with a floppy <laughs> disk, and had like a megabyte of memory, you know, the whole thing, and uh, you know, <laughs> a word processing program and a calculator, in it, and that was it. <laughs> it yeah. wasn't anything else. Yeah, I think I read that our phones have more computer power than the than the computers that sent the oh yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. the movie. Your iPhone has more computing yeah. capacity than entire uh, entire net network at NASA when we landed on the moon. That's just the, of course, yeah. that's why Armstrong turned the computer off and freaked everybody out. <laughs> yeah, but the data kept overriding the computer's capacity, and alarms kept going off, and they were annoying him as he's standing there in the limb trying to fly this spacecraft in an environment no man had ever been to and he just reached up and turned the computer off oh and wow houston went crazy went insane and he said i don't have time to talk right now uh, and wow. he landed it you know you know <laughs> yeah, that's amazing that's why he's neil armstrong and we're not <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> uh. And so now, what's your um, when you when you start writing? Do you um, you, you mentioned the early before that you uh, uh, you already were writing this morning? Do you have like set uh, word count goals that you set for yourself? No, no, nor a set time. Oh. I, I refuse. Uh, you know, I've got a day job, and and I just uh, I love writing. I do it because I want to. I refuse to let this be a job. I've always said I, I do not want another job. I do not want this to be a job. That's why the few times I've had deadlines, uh, I didn't like it. And uh, the reason is, yeah, I'm that annoying guy that, you know, in high school you had to do a term paper and it was due in three months. Mine was done in three weks because it, it's, it's, it, it's not because I'm more dedicated or smarter or any of that than anybody else. It's just I don't like trouble on the horizon. If there's an issue that's got to be resolved, let's just go resolve it, and then it's not an issue anymore. And now the skies are clear again because there's always going to be something else coming up. You know, you learn that practicing medicine, making rounds. Go get rounds made early in the morning, and I'm in the hospital at 6 o'clock in the morning back when I did that stuff because I wanted to get rounds done because I knew catastrophes were out there waiting to enter the emergency room. 
And the worst thing to do is get caught up in a three- or four-hour catastrophe when you still got a dozen patients to see, you know, in the hospital and finish regular round. So it's always chaos. And so I just like things done. So Forensics for Dummies was probably the first deadline I had. And uh, by the time we hammered the contract out, I only had like five months to write the book. Of course, I'd already been working on it. Um, and I turned it in two months ahead of time because I couldn't I, I couldn't wait to be up. I couldn't stand to be up against the deadline. So uh, and the Royal Pains books were they had deadlines involved with them, and, and I didn't like that at all. So, but the others, I say, you know, when it's done, I'll send it to you. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a great way too of uh, like not have, not having that looming over your head. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, you, you can even see that with George R. R. Martin, how he's with all his success and everything, you can just tell how he's just getting freaked out because he hasn't had the, the latest book on Game of Thrones out. <laughs> exactly, exactly. exactly. At, even at that level, you could just I could just see and feel his pain. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, the most uh, Lee Goldberg, the dear friend of mine, and Lee is without a doubt one of the most prolific writers I've ever known in my life. I don't know how he does what he does, but there was a period of time there for a few years that he was writing diagnosis murder books and the monk books. And he had to do two a year of each of them. Wow. So they were staggered. So every three months he had to turn in a book. Okay, now think about that. 90 days that you got to complete it. And I'm going to tell you, more than once, he would call me when he had like five weeks left. And he said, I have no idea what I'm going to write about. <laughs> you know, say a monk book or a diagnosis murder book. So we would kick some ideas around for a while. And finally, after about 20 minutes, he said, oh, okay, okay, I got it now. Thanks. And then next thing you know, three or four weeks later, he's completed the novel. It's it's shocking to me what you know how, how he does that, but he he's been doing it forever. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and that's a, the whole tie-in world is so fascinating to me. Um, so yeah, yeah, can you just ex- uh, explain a little bit about that world, <laughs> the tie-in well, world? Well, it's it's an interesting world, and actually, Lee's the one that got me involved in it, but. The media tie-in novels are basically those that are tied to some media. So it's usually a television story. And like I said, Lee did the Diagnosis Murder books. Well, he had also been, I think, the showrunner for Diagnosis Murder, uh, a producer, director, that kind of thing for Diagnosis Murder for all those years. And so he was the natural choice for that. And then Monk, he had written several Monk episodes because Lee came from the screenwriting world. That's one of the reasons he's so prolific, because screenwriters have to produce stuff fast, like newspaper writers. They have to work on deadlines and and volume all the time. So I think that's kind of spilled over into his novels. That's just the way he writes. But uh, So he wrote those two. And then uh, they came to him and asked him to do Psych. And he said, no, nah, I don't want to do psych, but, uh, but my partner, uh, writing partner, Bill Rabkin, will say, so turn into that. And then they came to him and wanted to do burn notice. And he said, no, nah, I don't want to do burn notice, but my brother Todd will. So he gave it to Todd, and Todd wrote several of those books. And then they came to him and said, what about Royal Pains? And he said, no, nah, I don't want to do that, but I know someone who might. And that's when he contacted me, and that's how I got into it and wrote two books for that. It's difficult when they're not your stories, they're not your tales, they're not your characters, and you got someone else that has a vested interest in what's going on, and it's not your baby. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's what you're saying. That's, uh, that's where you had the deadlines and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> a lot of restrictions and a lot of cooks in the kitchen. 
way. <laughs> yeah. It does sound like a Hollywood. Everything you read about those Hollywood movies, the producers and executives. And <laughs> mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Um, so uh, before I, before I let you go, I just want to touch base. Uh, I saw on your website that you have a you have your own podcast. Yeah, criminal mischief. Uh, yeah. Can, you t- can you tell us about that? It looks uh, fascinating. I'm going to subscribe to it right away. Yeah, uh, back a few years ago, Jan Burke and I did a radio show called Crime and Science Radio, where we interviewed people in the industry, and I mean, you know, forensic pathologists and FBI profilers. We had Kathy Reichs of Bones on there, Linda Fairstein, Law and Order SVU, and her best-selling novel. We had. Bill Bast, and been at the body farm at the University of Tennessee, where they determine how people decay after they die. Uh, Cyril Weck, the great pathologist. So anyway, we had tons of people on there. We did 70 shows, I think, and over three and a half years. But we finally shut that down because, well, it was a lot of work. Uh, it was a lot of herding cats getting everybody together so we could do the 50-minute interviews at the same time. And and we'd kind of run through all of our friends in the forensic world. <laughs> and I think we'd pretty much covered the subject. So that went away. And then, you know, a year and a half so goes by. And, you know, I'm kind of missing that because I like radio. I like all that stuff. And then Pam Stack, we ran each other in Thorfest last year, and she said, you'd need to do a podcast. I'd love for you to do it. And I said, all right, I'd like to do that. Let me think about it. But then I thought, do I really want to get into interviewing like you're doing here and, again, herding cats again? And I decided, no, I don't. So basically, it's called Criminal Mischief, the Art and Science of Crime Fiction. And if you subscribe to it, what do you get? You get me. That's it. I talk about stuff. I talk about cases. I talk about questions I've received. I talk about writing uh, uh uh, skills. I talk about voice and point of view, and I talk about crimes, and I talk about poisons, and 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 I talk about each show has a slant of what I'm going to talk about, a subject, and I just talk about it. And then I always give what I call show notes that I connect people to, so you can go there. There are links to where you can learn more about. It's kind of a little outline of the talk plus links, so you can go learn more about the topic of the day. You know, I talked about one of them was called uh, was about a limb pit that was found at uh, First Manassas, where basically they found a whole pit of buried limbs from the Civil War. Hmm. So I talked about the state of the art of antibiotics and surgery and anesthesia, how it was back in the you know 1860s, and how the, a surgeon's greatest skill was speed, because they didn't have anesthetics were around, but they weren't out on the battlefield most places. So you'd give them some alcohol and something to bite on and saw a limb off. So speed was important. And then, of course, the limb got infected and they died anyway. Uh, that was the problem. But they had thrown all these limbs in a giant limb pit. And so it kind of opened. And this had just been discovered at Manassas. And so I just uh, I, I, I vamped on that for, for 20, 30 minutes about the state of the art of surgery. Well, hopefully people who write historical crime fiction can use this. Uh, and if not, it'll open their mind, and they'll go look at some other stuff, and as they're doing research, they'll come up with some story ideas. At the end of the day, that's really what it's all about. Hmm. I, I, wanna, I want people to write. You know, I want to read, so I want people to write stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and do you, still, do you still get questions? Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. All the time. <laughs> all the time. Yeah. You're probably not going to be able to, 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 to change that. <laughs> no, 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 no that, that still happens. So, uh <laughs> You know, and I have a blog I run, I have my podcast, I have all my writing, and I answer questions for people. Other than that, i got nothing to do. 
<laughs> and, and then a good place for all this uh, good stuff is uh, would be probably your website at uh, dplylemd.com. That's it. That's the one. Yeah, that's what I'm looking right now. You can have links to his uh, podcast and your books and all, all that good stuff. And the radio show, they're all all 70 shows are on there. So if you find something that's of interest to you, you know, listen to that because it's from the experts. And uh, then I have a whole new series coming out in October that I've started. It's a Bobby Kane Harper McCoy series, and that's a whole another set of characters and. It's, it's going to be much darker stories than the Jake Longley stuff. So, oh wow! Okay. Versus called Skin in the Game, and it'll be out in October. And I'm already about a third of the way through the follow up for that. So, uh, also two new books from you this year. Uh, yep, yep, May <laughs> and October. Yeah, uh, oh, so that's pretty cool. So you get the 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 Sunshine State, uh, more yep. comedic, and then the other one's going to be a little bit more. Uh, oh yeah, more or darker. Yeah. More darker. <laughs> all <laughs> yeah. right, all right. <laughs> All right, Doug. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on the on the podcast and talking to us. Uh, really enjoyed uh, talking with you. Well, thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening to the Meet the Thriller Author podcast. Be sure to visit thrillerauthors.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover great thrilling reads. If you enjoy the podcast, I'd love for you to subscribe, uh, rate, and give a review uh, to it, wherever it is that you're listening to this uh, podcast, be it uh, iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, uh, wherever it is that you're uh, listening to this right now, I would appreciate it. And uh, please do check out my own thriller novels over at my website at alanpeterson.com. Until next time.